Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet. I'm mom to two boys, a former middle school teacher, a homeschooler, and a writer. And I'm tired. <laughs> I can well, every time we say all these things, I'm like, wow, we're amazing. <laughs> Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 19. Well, so for this episode, we're taking a look at divorce and blending families from a middle school grade, or excuse me, from a middle grade point of view, which I think is really interesting because um, I did not have a divorce in my family growing up, but did have a blended family due to death, as did you. Yeah. But yet neither one of us wanted to read about dead parents. <laughs> Even all these years later, we're like, you yeah, know, we're so let's dead. not read about dead parents. Let's read about divorce. Right. Well, that's, that's always our bonding thing. And for those of you guys that, that don't know us personally, like that was one of our big bonding things. We both lost our, t- our lost our dads when we were teenagers unexpectedly. Yes. So you can always bond over things that you know and see coming. So there you go. So what's new? Now you go. I'm turning this back on you because I never have anything interesting <laughs> going on. You know what's been crazy? I have had this obsession all week and I've been trying because like when you have small children, my youngest is seven, you never can watch like grown-up shows, right? You can only watch grown-up shows when they go to bed. So I um have been trying to watch I Love Murder and my kids are always like, oh, murder mom? Yes, another murder show. But I've been trying to catch up on a um the documentary about the the doomsday mommy hang on can i just interrupt really quick did you watch the snl skit this week <laughs> this weekend no uh-uh. they have a whole hilarious like song about watching murder shows women watching <gasps> murder shows yes it was good See, i'm okay. not alone i'm not I know alone you are definitely not alone okay go ahead sorry <laughs> so anyway i've been trying for like for the entire week this is the excitement that is my week i've been trying to finish this three-part series on the the doomsday mommy mommy doomsday i think it's like one version and then like Another version's got a, another channel has a version called the Gravedigger's Wife, and then like the Doomsday Mom is another one. I was trying to get through one of those, and all along I'm like 15 minutes at a time before I fall asleep at the end of the day or whatever. Yesterday, my older son comes in just when we're getting to the point where we found the bodies. I have waited so long till we find the bodies, and he's like comes in to tell me something about freaking video games. P.S. Don't care, just don't care. <laughs> And I literally froze the television and I stood up and I'm like, I need you to know, I love you, but I have waited for five days for them to dig up these dead children. And I need you to leave because I need to know what happened. <laughs> and he just looks at me and goes, you are so sick. I'm going to need so much therapy. And I'm like, yes, you are. But that's the excitement. I mean, you know, like it might be 40 degrees, but it's still cold and you can't go hang out outside. So my excitement has been trying to find out like... And I still don't know. Like I got to the end of the series and everything. And I still like no one. Oh, no charges have been pressed. Well, somebody killed the kids. Somebody tell me who killed the kids. But no. So now I have to find a new murder to get me through next week. A new murder that hopefully has a satisfying ending. huh? I know because I just don't feel satisfied. And she, they haven't even gone to trial yet, too. I don't. I, that's too soon. Like, you know what I mean? On a good crime documentary, you need to have already gone to trial and or have found the body or whatever it takes by the time I'm watching it. Because this whole like, oh, charges pending crap. No, I need closure. <laughs> I need closure on the dead children <laughs> that took me five episodes to get to. Oh, my God. <laughs> I also might need Valium. I don't know. I feel like this somehow leads us into the realistic fiction that we were reading. <laughs> right? <laughs> so funny. So nothing going on with you? I got nothing. It's like day 495 of 2020 for you over there in Indiana. <laughs> 
I know. Maybe you should try making some murder time. Find some murder shows that make you make the time go faster. You could watch them during the day because you don't have a seven year old that'll be like, what? Well, that's funny because I watched um, Bridgerton. (gasps) P.S. My mother, my mother was like, I'm looking for something to watch. You got any suggestions? P.S. I watch documentary and murder. She doesn't like those things. And I'm like, I don't know. I guess you'll like Bridgerton. I heard it's very dirty from my mother. My mother was like, how, why did you tell me to watch that? She's like, they're just banging every five seconds. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, I thought, oh, I'll watch first episode in the middle of the day. No big deal, right? And two minutes in, I was like, oh, I don't think I can watch this in the Oh my God, room. especially with a 17-year-old like banging the door, huh, mom? <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up binging it like one night. I just watched it all the way through because I was like, this might be my only time to watch it. I was alone in the living room. <laughs> was it good? Did you like yeah, it? Yeah, it was really good. I was like already too humiliated to ask my mother if she enjoyed it because I was afraid that she might have. And then I would be like, oh my God, don't tell me anymore. <laughs> my mother's sitting there in Des Moines watching this going, hey now. <laughs> Oh my God, this is why I stick to murder. Okay, well, we're both going to get ourselves in trouble. So is it time to start the show? I think it is. Let's get started. All right, so since this is a pretty heavy book, let's start off with Love Like Sky by Leslie C. Youngblood. Um, You got some background information? Can you give some background? Yes, I do. So Love Like Sky by Leslie C. Youngblood is, it's a realistic fiction story about G-Baby and her sister Peaches, who live in a blended up family. I loved that term blended up. So it was cute. perfect. Yes. Um, their mama is married to Frank and the girls live with him and his daughter in the suburbs of Georgia, but they miss their old neighborhood and friends in downtown Atlanta. So on top of the move, G-Baby is also sad that her new sort of glam older stepsister named Tangi doesn't want anything to do with her. So G-Baby becomes obsessed with winning Tangi over and seeing her friend Nikki, who lives in the old neighborhood. She becomes so obsessed with this that she doesn't notice when her little sister, who is the most adorable character um peaches gets really sick and so while they're staying with their daddy and his wife millicent they call millipede which is my favorite yeah um peaches illness uh puts her in the hospital and then it creates a lot of tension between g their parents of course who are divorced so then g baby kind of sets out to get everyone back together and and to um, save peaches and save peaches however she can yes And G-Baby is a really cool character. I love her because she just is so understanding in of things that like her friend Nikki is not very nice to her most of the time. And she just has always seems to see past people's yeah. initial reactions to things and understand what's kind of going on. The only blind spot she sort of has is Tangy because she really wants Tangy to like her. That was a big criticism that I read. People are like, oh, she's not. She's too old. And I'm like, that's a hundred percent wrong. Yeah. For someone who taught middle school for 20 years, I can tell you that there are those middle schoolers that cannot see past their, their face. And then there are those that are so deep and so feeling and such old souls. And that's exactly what G baby is. Yeah. And plus she's, you know, I think you become more emotionally intelligent. Obviously we went through some traumatic things in our childhood. And when you go through things like divorce and really difficult things, when you're a kid, I think you do become a little bit more emotionally intelligent. Yeah. And I felt like that was very authentic. I mean, this book deals with themes like including like family strength and parents fighting and movies 
moving and and then kind of in the background are these really cool um, Black Lives Matter discussions that are happening. I think it's also important to at that point, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, this, okay. this book came out in 2018. So this is like pre George Floyd, pre like what we've seen in the last year. So it was a really like a, a really early stepping stone predecessor, unfortunately, um, to what then actually continued to happen. But I thought there were some interesting discussions about it that were very honest and sort of at a middle grade level, you know, that yeah. were very good that happened in the story between Tangi and um and G baby. Yeah. And then also, of course, themes of friendship and step sibling relationships and all that were going on in this book. Really strong. I thought this book was great. It has strong, strong, very clear characters. I mean, you could picture everyone perfectly in your mind. They all had their own voice. It was really well done. The plot was well done. There's tension that really keeps you reading. Um, I just have to be very honest and upfront about one thing that is not related to the book, but is my own sort of problem <laughs> is that I have a really hard time with realistic fiction. I especially, yeah. I feel like maybe right now it's even worse, but like mm-hmm. I can hardly handle it when the stories and books are like too close to real life because I just feel like my heart breaks for all the characters all the people in the book and I just take on that and it just makes me so sad and I kind of had mentioned last time I was a little bit sad about doing divorce books anyway but I think it was even more so the realistic fiction because and divorce because then you're in the moment with these people you're feeling their heartbreak and it just felt a little bit overwhelming but that was more my personal problem. I don't usually tend to have a problem with realistic fiction. I do have a huge problem with sick kids and having had a yeah. sick kid that spent a large chunk of his beginning years, you know, in and out of the hospital and stuff like that. I, that one, the minute, the, the minute that the kid, that poor Peach just got a fever and they were rushing her to the hospital. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. You add on top of this COVID. And I was like, oh my God, I can't. I literally can't. One of my biggest things though is what I loved so much. Having taught every race, creed, whatever of kids for years, this book was authentic. I could look at this and I could say, I know that kid. I know that family. It was just, it was very authentic. That's all I could say. I felt a hundred percent. I know these people. Right. And it didn't shy away from like the parents were fighting and it was very realistic fighting of the parents and how the kids would feel while it was going on. Did not shy away from any of those things, which I thought was great. I mean, it's so funny though, because I was thinking about this, about how, you know, we read the book, The Viking Story and Dead Vikings. No problem. Didn't even care. Totally entertained by that book. This one, give me kept back Kevin, whose mom was sick all the time and didn't take care of him. And I was like, oh, my heart is breaking. I can't take it. Right. And I didn't even catch the, you know, like for a long time, what was really going on with kept back Kevin. I, I just felt like so many things were so true to form. What wasn't there. And I was so grateful for. We have children that are non-white that have wonderful, loving parents, except for Kept by Kevin, but that's a whole separate issue. Right. That have full families. G-Baby and Peach's mom is a, works at insurance and has a great job. Their father owns his own um, car dealership. Millicent was a nurse. Uh, you know, like everybody's professional. And, and I was like, thank God, just give us a slice of real life. And this exactly what it was, even though one of my biggest things was there were too many things happening. And it was so funny because I read this great, um, this guy, he's like, love the book, 
pick a story already. For God's sakes, just pick a story. And I was like, that's kind of it. There were a lot of topics getting thrown at you at once. And as an adult, I was like, okay, I can keep this straight. If I am reading this as a middle grader, I'm like, wait, what? What? Like, it's too much. It's too many topics at once. Are we going to talk about divorce? Are we going to talk about six siblings? Are we going to talk about um, bullying? Are we going to talk about, you know, step trying to bond stepsisters? Are we going to talk about political things? Are we going to talk about the fact that you're too young to kiss and that, you know, are we going to talk about the boyfriend relationships? Are we going to talk about spy? I mean, there were so many things happening that I was like, okay. Well, okay. I agree with you, but I also felt like it was like you were just stepping into these people's lives, high drama lives. Yes, but their lives. So it was kind of like watching like a nighttime drama. I told you it's Shonda Rhimes for middle school. It is for sure. (laughs) It really is. There's a lot of drama. Yeah. But the drama isn't fake or syrupy or put on. It just all happens at once. It's just a lot. Yeah. There is a lot happening happening at once. Just like on Grey's Anatomy. Everything happens at once. Yes, exactly. Like Grey's Anatomy. I just had to take a little break, I think, partway through. Now, again, we're adults. We have perspective. We've experienced a lot of these things. So, of course, it affects us more deeply and seriously than a kid who doesn't really have reference for a lot of these things that is going on. And for maybe for a kid who's in a similar situation, it would be so helpful to know that they're not alone and that things can turn out, will turn out okay. Yeah. Like, I guess that was one of the things too. I was happy that this story did have a happy ending. You need to know that going in. I think you need to know that that going in as a reader. Yes. No, sorry. I guess that's a little bit of a spoiler, but I felt like it was kind of important. Yeah. It does have a happy ending because I mean, there was one point, like you said, when Peach is in the hospital, I'm like, this is not going to have a happy ending. I don't think I can keep reading this story, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But I will say though, that my middle schoolers, they love that crap. Oh, They love the drama, especially the girls. You know what I mean? Like they love that drama poured on, poured on. As we've clarified before, I'm not going to be the kind of person who would watch Grey's Anatomy because I can't handle that in television. Either. Yeah. But I love murder. <laughs> I love, <laughs> you, I love docudramas. I love you murder. You like actual real life murder, just not high right. drama. I love murder documentaries. I just don't like when all those things happen at once. Um, I, I also think that's it, though, because when you're talking about a good murder documentary, too, like at the heart of it is the murder. And there a couple of things might have gotten you to the murder. But you don't have all these things happening at once. You're just talking about murder. So maybe that's the whole thing. I just can't. I can't manage too many emotions at once. Maybe I don't. Yeah. Well, and everybody was dealing with pretty high emotions in the story. So all of the characters were dealing with their own high emotions. So, yeah. Now, I have a question because, see, I have no sisters. I have no daughters. I didn't even grow up with very many girl cousins. They were a lot older than I am. So the relationship, like, it's this, like, undying need for her like this like overwhelming need for her to have that sister bond mm-hmm. is that realistic because you don't care if you have brothers you don't care you, you're like whatever you're a jerk i think in a way it was surprising to me at first because i thought g baby was the oldest in her family and now she's not the oldest anymore so i felt like that might have caused more of a rivalry instead yeah. of her wanting an older sister but i also thought tangy was older enough older than her that i could see because i remember having like an aunt who wasn't that much older than me when i was a kid and i just thought she was the coolest thing ever and i wanted to be around her all the time so i could kind of see where that's where it okay. went with it instead which i kind of liked i thought that was fun because it was a little bit unexpected and um and and cool how it worked out so but you are the oldest sister i don't know like how would you have reacted i think i would feel definitely challenged 
Like if my stepdad had had a child that was older than me. Yeah, that might have been a little. Because you might lose your little sisters to them. Right. You might like lose that idol worship. I don't know. There's no idol worship with older brothers. Yeah. I don't know how much my sister I was idol worshiping me at the time because I, I do remember being fairly mean to her. The way Tangie acted, I was like, oh, gosh, that was me. I was so mean. <laughs> so because you just don't want them in your stuff. You don't want them in your space. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I remember that feeling. I felt like that was very authentic. I don't know. I just think, yeah. I mean, I also had like older cousins, too, that I really looked up to. So I could kind of see where. G baby's attitude was where she really looked up to this and this and Tangi is a really cool girl. Oh yeah, right. I would hang out with Tangi. Yeah, so I guess I could see I could definitely see. I think it was authentic. Cuz it's I always, I don't know, it's just find I find it fascinating. I'm really interested in like the dichotomy of same-sex siblings. Because I, I have the, I gave birth to same-sex siblings. So I see the brother bond and I'm like, wow, that's really amazing. But I've never experienced it because, you know, my brothers had that bond, but not me because I was the only girl. I'm so glad I have sisters as an adult. We were um, so spread out. My sisters, I yeah. mean, my one sister is six years younger than I am. The other sister I have is 18 years younger than I am. I know you could be her mother. So we had very different relationships because of that. And it's not until we were adults that we got, have probably have a closer, more sister relationship now. Um, oh, I did want to point out too, uh, to get back to this book that towards the end of this book, they start setting up sort of the sequel. And I wondered if there was one and there is. There is. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Forever This Summer. And it takes the main characters to Louisiana, which they had sort of set up in the end of this book. And I think that's kind of cool because uh the author, Leslie Youngblood, is a Louisiana gal. So I'm sure it'll be fun. Yeah, they're going there to help out Sugar, Grandma Sugar. Oh, I love her. She is P.S. my favorite character. I love Grandma Sugar. <laughs> so that comes out in July this summer. So if you start with this one, then the next one comes out pretty soon. But just make sure you can handle it. Make sure COVID's out of your head before you start. That's the <laughs> only thing. Whoo! It's never good to read realistic fiction during a pandemic, I think. Probably like not. That's it. It's best to escape. I kept thinking as I was reading it, like, I wish there was a witch in this story or a castle or something, just anything to alleviate the like realness of it. <laughs> I just wish more people would read books like this. These are our stories, you know, regardless of our race or our geographical location or whatever. The stories are the stories. If people would just put all of their biases and thoughts and everything else aside and just like read this, be like, you know what? The fight between the sisters is the same, regardless of your race, the, the worries that you have are the same. I just feel like it could put us on so much more common ground, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyway, there's my soapbox. So our second book is kind of heavy too. It is heavy, but it's not as heavy. It's in a different way. And uh, there's so many things about this book that allowed me to sort of bring in the fantasy element that made it so it wasn't quite as heavy. So do you want to tell us about that second book? I will. It's um, How to Make Friends with the Sea by Tanya Guerrero. And it was out, poor thing, poor Tanya, honey, I love you. But it came out in March of 2020. And it was released on at the end of March in 2020, right when, I mean, could you imagine? And it's our debut. And here it is like, oh my God, my book is coming out. I finally got it. My dream is coming true. P.S. Let's shut down the world. So I don't think it probably got this kind of 
fanfare or just the push that it would have gotten if we hadn't all been locked in our homes, you know, but it did come out in the middle of all that. So I think it's an important one to read. It's also, which is really frustrating to me. It's one of the few books that I could find about a boy's perspective of going through divorce. And that's a problem. We have now decided we need all girl books and we have no boy books. Hello. Hashtag boys read too. Anyway, I'll get to that later. So this is how to make friends with the sea. And it's about uh, Pablo and Pablo is 12 he is scared of absolutely everything. His mother is Spanish. His father is American. And somehow in the middle of all of this, Pablo is living in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So I hear you, Pablo. I hear the expat life. And um, he's scared of everything, especially the sea. And now he's stuck in paradise by the sea. Oh, yeah. So um, he's miserable. He couldn't be more miserable if he tried. Literally, he's he counts things to make himself feel better. He's so he's, he's kind of got this OCD, but he also realizes he has this OCD, which I think is kind of what's interesting about the character. Mm-hmm. And he knows that he can get past it. In his mind, he's pretty sure he can get past it because he can almost sense that it's a reaction to the world, like not having any control of the world around him. So his parents got divorced. His dad took off. His dad's a real jerk, P.S., I mean, throughout the whole book, I'm like, oh, yuck. His dad's like, they're both uh, zoologists. I think his dad's like a marine biologist or something. I don't know. I didn't like him. So I didn't pay that much attention to what he did because he was not very nice to Pablo. And his mom has taken him to, she's decided to kind of like take off and save the world as a zoologist. And they've been all over the world living in different countries for just a little bit of time. More countries than Pablo can count is basically what he refers to it. Um, So she can work at these animal sanctuaries. But Pablo just wants to go home, whatever or wherever that is. And he wants to be a family, but he doesn't even know what that looks like anymore. At the very beginning of the book, I thought this was really interesting. His mom would go pick up um, like injured animals and stuff like this. And they send her on this mission. And when they get there and Pablo goes along, when they get there, she's actually picking up a four-year-old girl who has been abandoned and won't come out of this chicken coop. It was kind of weird. I thought it was weird. Like, why didn't you call like child services or something? Why are you calling the the refuge? Well, I think that the man who owned the refuge, his name's Miguel, right? Yeah. He he has a reputation, I think, for helping helping people and and being able, being in a position to help people. So I kind of got that impression that that's why they wanted him instead of like the authorities because things might not work out for the girl otherwise. So Um, uh, good point. Yeah, because she was, they make reference to her. She was with her grandfather who was um communist like an anti-government kind of a communist guy and they thought that maybe that maybe that's it maybe they thought they wouldn't take good care of the little girl who has a very bad cleft palate so um she's kind of a mess who needs a lot of medical attention and she's been living with chickens for a little while it sounds like pablo is mortified that his mother would bring this child home because she's been living with chickens and he's a germaphobe he never had a sibling, didn't want a sibling. He definitely, you get the, I love Pablo because he's kind of a smart aleck and you definitely get the vibe from him that his mother's not that maternal to begin with. I love it. He's always talking about her calming stones and sometimes she rages and she has to touch her calming stones and then she'll yell and her face gets red right before her freckles pop out. That's what it is before she yells. I love all these things because if my children were going to write a book about me, they'd probably put things like that in there. And I was like, P.S. I, I wish Tanya Guerrero, could you give us a, an update? date as to like where do I get those calming stones because I think I might need some I like that um and his mom's not crazy about it I mean his mom's not crazy about taking in this girl 
Because she's very dedicated to her own career. Yeah. And not so much to being a mom. And that's what Pablo is kind of figuring out as he goes through the Mm -hmm. book, which I think, again, is really great. Um, You know, as the book goes on, like he's got to try to figure out his own space. Like I I liked this about the book and it's really hard to explain without giving any spoilers. He knows that this is not right. The way he's living and the way he's feeling is not right. And and he can't quite figure out what's wrong. And so he sort of spends a large chunk of the book slowly figuring out, oh, I should let people in. I should have a friend. Huh. Having a friend would be normal. Oh, okay. I should be able to do this because of the, you know what I mean? Like, so he's kind of slowly figuring things out. Like, I shouldn't be a germaphobe. I need to get over this. And and I, I like that sort of self-discovery. I kind of liked it too, because I felt like in a way it wasn't OCD because he could kind of control it. So it was more of a organic anxiety that sort of developed in him. Cause I mean, let's face it, middle school, there's a lot of new chemicals going on in your brain. A lot of kids probably go through these sort of anxiety induced things like this. This is traumatic. Yeah. He's got trauma too from moving all over and the divorce and yeah. And it grew organically out of his lifestyle and his sense of not having any control over his life. And once he started realizing he could sort of control it when he wanted to, that's when he started taking these steps and making a friend was a huge step for him because then that also influenced him as far as doing other more things that he wouldn't have done. Right. Because his friend is like now saying, come on, let's go do this. Let's do this. You should try new things, you know. And his friend, which I thought was super important to note, is his friend is Filipino. And she lives in the neighborhood. And she has her siblings. And they live a very sort of typical life. And I know that for me, like when I, living as an expat, like that's huge. When you make a friend that is actually of that culture that can bounce between the language of that country and your language, that's a huge thing. And you feel like a major sense of belonging because when you're an expat and you only, and it was very common to see like, like when you're an expat and everybody only has friends that are from your country or speak your language. Like I had one friend who was my dearest friend there. And when we lived in Turkey for years, but she could not speak Turkish because she was French. And, you know, like we had a bond because we could both speak English. We both were, you know, expats living in a foreign country, teaching in a foreign language, blah, 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 blah. But that was like, you have your outsider friend, Mm -hmm. but you don't have like a friend. It was a little bit different for me because my sister-in-law and I could go places and do things and stuff together because, you know, obviously she's Turkish. She lives in Turkey. And I always felt like, well, you have to like me. You're my sister-in-law. Like you don't get a choice. Like (laughs) you have to like me. I'm family now. It's not a choice. But when you have friends that are like native of the country, and they embrace you for your, even with your bad, broken version of the language or whatever. It's a big game changer. And I feel like that's what happened to Pablo when he made his first friend. Uh, you know, the girl, he and the girl across the street became friends. Then I was like, he was like, okay, maybe I can stay here. Maybe I could stay here. Maybe this could be home. Is this what home is? This is Can I have a home in another country? I also feel like his friendship with uh, the neighbor girl helped open the door to his feelings for his, for the little four-year-old girl that comes to live with them. You know, how he Mm -hmm. was open to her too, because he had already opened the door to having a friend. And so, and now he's opening the door to having a sibling, which he'd never had before too. So he never thought he'd ever want to be able to deal with that or ever would be able to deal with it, which I think is funny. 
I think a lot of only child, only children feel that way too. Like they go through a phase where they want it. Then they're like, God, no. My, yeah. My son was like that all through like his preschool years. He asked all the time, when am I going to have a brother or sister? And, uh, and then once he got to probably like early middle, like third or fourth grade, people would ask him if he wished he had one. And he's like, nope. <laughs> and then especially when we started traveling a little bit more with him, he really didn't want one because he thought that meant he oh, wouldn't be able take to away. Do, yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't be able to do as much stuff. So he was excited. My young still asks and I'm like your mother's like 95 years old this is never happening and I was like P.S. you are such a handful like if you're if you had been the first child born not your like calm and and chill older brother if if my youngest had been the first child I had oh he'd be an only child for sure that drama yeah. queen please yeah. oh I can't even imagine him as a middle child. That would not be good. <laughs> no, he came in. So, segue. We'll get back to you, Tina or Tanya. Hold on a sec. But um, he came in the other night. There was like Xbox had gone down worldwide, right? And so my no. older son had just gotten this new update on some game. Blah blah blah. Whatever you know how the boys always tell you these things. You don't mm-hmm. care. And um, I'm in the shower, and he'd been like my older son had been upset, you know, even though we figured out that there's nothing you can do. He'd been upset and mad about the whole thing or whatever, because his friends were on a different version. They could still play. My little one comes in. He's in the shower. I'm in the shower. He, I'm standing there with a, in my all chubby glory and everything with a towel on. I'm like, what is wrong? Why are you Why are you banging on the door? What's upset? There he stands in his Donkey Kong pajamas, clutching his chest, going, this Xbox thing is so bad. It's just tearing our family apart. <laughs> I was like, it's not. And I'd like to towel off now. <laughs> I think you're kidding. It's just tearing our family apart. And I'm like, and this is why you would be the only child. He's saying this on top of you having just read two books about divorce. Right. <laughs> and he's like, it's Xbox, mom. Right. Um, so anyway, back to the book. I don't want to say much because there's so many great spoilers. One of the things I don't think it's hard to figure out, but like one of the things that he's really scared of is the sea. And that's something that he kind of figures out. Like he, with the help of some of the local guys, older guys that kind of take him in and help him kind of, he kind of figures out that like, okay, I got to get over this if I'm going to live here, because this is really amazing. And I've been given this kind of great, beautiful place to live. And that's why it's called how to make friends with the sea. You know, I I looked online because I always like to know what other people think. And I saw a lot of people loved it. I would say a large part of the, you know, the people that have reviewed it really loved it like I did. But there was this one that this one group that, you know, of council culture that really got on to this. And one of them said from an own voices review, how could they let this happen? P.S. The woman who wrote it, Tanya Guerrero is Filipino and Spanish by birth. So, and she lives in the Philippines. How could it not be on voices? They were saying that to use broken English in a book or to use the Tagalog in a book, broken Tagalog and English is, is inappropriate. I, I speak broken Turkish. <laughs> My husband speaks broken English. We oftentimes use what we call Turglish. Um, I speak broken Turglish with my sister-in-law. So, you know, like, I feel like that was really one-sided. I, I really was mad about that. I was, they called it culturally insensitive. I feel like Ms. Guerrera has a really valid opinion on this. And I think that she lives there. She uh, is of that nationality and she has every right to do an own voices book. Just saying. I also felt like there were, they were, someone had mentioned like, oh, it was poverty porn. What? Which is a phrase I never heard before, like talking about the poverty of the area. And I didn't get that. 
I didn't get any of that. When we lived in one of the, like when we got transferred to the village by the Aegean, when we lived there, he makes a lot of comments about them just playing in their flip-flops or something, because that's reality. Right. When you live in a beach area, like the kids would always have dirty flip-flops. My kids have dirty flip-flops. I mean, like I didn't find that to be poverty porn. I actually enjoyed it because it wasn't like this. Everybody lives in a mansion and everything is perfect. I mean, I thought it was very almost like more middle class story. And I felt like very much like Pablo and his mom were not in any way, shape or form financially above anybody else. She rode her bike to work. Right. Yes, they had a driver. They had a driver because he worked for Miguel. And you know what? Like my friend and I used to get driven around, too, because we didn't have a license in that country. Right. I mean... I don't know. I just feel like people are so quick to judge that, again, listen to someone else's story. Maybe you could learn something because a lot of people, my kids included, are bicultural. They come from two very distinct different cultures, her being you know, from Spain and from the Philippines. And I think she's got a really interesting point of view and I want to hear it. And I don't want you to, to dog on her because it's not what you think a Filipino woman should write like. Well, she's not just a Filipino woman. She's also a Spanish woman. And, you know, I feel like my kids have a lot to say that's a very different perspective from any of their friends because they also have two different cultures. They have two different languages. They have family on two different sides of the world. They, you know, take part in traditions from two different worlds. Mm-hmm. That's valid. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are valid and they can still have their, their, uh, their just as much should be able to speak about the, their Turkish culture as somebody else, you know. All right. That's my soapbox for now. Anyway, I thought it's a great book. Again, let it be said, I've never gone through divorce. I've never had a divorce. I've never been a child of divorce. So maybe I don't have the same perspective as somebody that does. But if I, as a teacher, I have to say, especially love is like sky or love like sky, excuse me. I would give that out in a heartbeat to a kid to read that was going through that similar situation. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Because it really does help you feel like, oh, all right. The other thing too, in how to make friends with the sea, I also think that it deals a lot with the aftermath of divorce and what yeah. kids are going through after where Love Like Sky is also it's after the divorce, obviously, but it feel it feels very new in that yeah. one, fresh, you know. Well, they're all on the same continent. Right. I think that's why, you know what I mean? Like all the people in, in are the still same there, room, yeah. In the same city and everything. Right. Where I feel like how to make friends with the sea is more with the the boy trying to work out his own feelings in the aftermath of it. And uh, and there was something that was a little bit easier to read about that one. And maybe it was because it was set in a different country. And so you had sort of the distraction of learning about the new culture and hearing the the language to sort of distract you a little bit from all of the heavy feelings that were going on, you know, yeah, um, where you don't have that so much in love like Sky. But yeah, they're both really good reads. You know what I do think too? I think about um, what made How to Make Friends with the Sea a little bit easier to read is that you had an enemy that you hated right away because you hated the father. You didn't hate any of the fathers in Love Like Sky. You know what I mean? How to make friends with the sea. You you hated his father. He was a jerk. He was mean to him. Anybody with a soul automatically had this sort of, there was an enemy and you could, you could always rely on that. But in Love Like Sky, all those dads were good. They were all doing their best. Well, and the moms were good. Yeah. 
they were good and bad. Like they were normal. People. Everybody was normal. They didn't yeah. get everything right, but they didn't get everything wrong. Right. And also it wasn't life or death. The The little girl's life right. wasn't hanging in the balance and and how to make friends with the sea, but it really was in love like sky. And I think that's why, because you knew no matter what the little girl was going to be okay in the beginning of that. You didn't know that in love like sky. Yeah. So I think that's it. But I don't know. Again, I mean, it was a really hard book and I, I don't know if I gave a very good summary of it, but I didn't have any spoilers or have any clue what was going to happen to how to make friends with in how to make friends with the sea going in. And I loved that book. So I don't want to give anything away because I want everybody to have the same experience. It was a really interesting, interesting book to read. So yeah, Tanya Guerrero also has a new book coming out this year. It's funny because I almost picked it for one of our um, one of our pick six today, but it's called All You Need, K-N-E-A-D, is Love. Oh, cute. Right? And this is about a young girl and her Spanish mom. Oh. So I love that. I love it. Girl, you got two sides. You take two sides and you you do whatever. You tell us all about them. Right. That was also coming out this summer, too. And it's gotten a lot of good press. It's like one of those, um, you know, the books that we should be waiting for. Oh, good. All right. Speaking of that, for our pick six, we're going to do books that we're looking forward to this summer or actually late spring. Some of mine. Yeah, mine too. May-ish. Yeah. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our pick six. All right, for today's pick six, we're going to give you a sneak peek into what's coming out this summer in the middle grade world so you can get a jump on your summer reading list. So we've done the legwork for you. We're going to tell you what's coming out that looks exciting and interesting. So what's your first choice, Heather? Uh, My very first choice comes out in June, and it's called The Double Life of Danny Day by Mike Thayer. And I just think this sounds like such a fun story. I told you, I thought I would. I always picked it too. And it's funny because I feel like some of these might be in reaction to having just read realistic fiction stories about divorce, which was kind of sad. So I sort of went in the opposite direction with my picks for summer, but summer reading should be light and fun. Anyway. It should be light and fun. Yeah. You can't, you can't do a heavy one in the summer. Right. So this one is about Danny Day and he lives every day twice, which is so fun to think about. Shoot me, shoot me. <laughs> if anybody ever says that's going to happen, shoot me. No. <laughs> Poor thing. Sounds like such a fun thing to think about. So he has his first day, he calls it a discard day. It's sort of like a practice run. And then he can wake up the next day and change anything he wants to change, which as a kid, think about all the things that you like mess up on because you don't know and you're learning. True. So he gets the opportunity to not only learn but then change it. So that's kind of fun. So then he has his sticky day, which means it has, it's what, whatever happens that day stays. So he starts out basically using his talent, which cracks me up to slack off and play video games. Right. Okay. (laughs) That that tracks. Yeah. And so now, but now he just moved, of course, middle grade in middle grade books. That's a huge trope moving to a new location and he's making new friends and where he moved to, there's a lot of, bullies and jerks Mm. and cheaters and all kinds of terrible things. And so he is using now decides to use his power for good to help his friends. I just think it sounds like a fun read. It sounds so cute. I thought it looked like a really cute book. Again, I'm going to go on my soapbox. There were very few books that I found coming out that had about boys. And this is really a problem. So this is great to see a great boy main character. So I mean, for people who don't quite get how some of the industry works, it's basically the publishing industry picks up on whatever trend and everybody jumps on board. And so two years later, all the books 
line up with that trend. Like right now, everything is own voices, which is really important. And we're super glad that that's finally caught up. The publishing world's a little, usually a little bit behind of what people want. About two so, years behind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two years because that's how long it takes to edit and publish a book. But the problem is, is because they don't have a wide variety of choices, which they should have always had. And they've <laughs> now, always had them. They just right. didn't choose them. They just jump on trends. And so then you get a ton of books. So you go to the bookstores, all you're going to get like girls in STEM is a huge trend that's happening right girls now. Girls in anything. Girls. Yeah. Girls in fantasy. Yeah. Because we've had for years, generations, my generation, most of the main characters were boys because they were trying to get boys to read books. They knew girls would read them and it didn't. So they didn't think it mattered. Um, obviously, representation does matter. So now we're getting a lot more girls, girls in STEM, girls in fantasy, girls in sci-fi, and then also own voices. So it's awesome, except if you have a boy <laughs> who's looking for something new. <laughs> right. I called Heather the other day and I was lamenting because my older son, we had decided that, you know, like the next book he's going to read for homeschool, just pick, we'll go to the bookstore and you choose the book and then I'll work around your choice instead of me choosing. Which is cool. Yes. And we went to our favorite bookstore, an unlikely story. Hello, if you're out there listening to me, Jeff Kinney, you better make some changes, girl. Because let me tell you what, I was angry. We could not find any books that we hadn't already read that had boy main characters. I was so disappointed because he was so disappointed. And I was like, dude, you literally are the wimpy kid bookstore. The wimpy kid. How about some more boy book? You know, besides Rick Reardon, that was it. Like, it was really frustrating. A gazillion books with girl main characters, but that's not exciting when you're a 13 year old boy. Yeah, I do like books that have a boy and a girl main character. Me too. And so does he. And I will say, like, my son's two favorite books had girl main characters. So it's not so much a problem with girl main characters. There's just nothing out there with boys. There's There really wasn't anything to choose from. There really was nothing there to choose from with boys. So now hopefully we'll get back to a more balanced playing field. Well, something for everyone. Isn't that the most important? Just know that I'm angry right now, people. I'm angry. I'm angry <laughs> about it and I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you because hashtag boys read too. Boys do read too. And it's important that boys have role models just as it is that girls and that's why we like, I tend to really love a, a main character that's a boy and a girl. For example, prime example right now, my younger son and I are reading the um, the Unicorn Rescue Society books. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, and that's um, Adam Gidwitz, which I know we talk about him a lot. I talk about him a lot. But it's really brilliant because there's a girl of color and then there's a nerdy kid. And there's a boy and a girl. We just read some and he loved them. And then we could suggest them to friends of his that were, were girls and they would love them too. Just feel like it's super important. In fact, in How to Make Friends with the Sea, I was joking about this with my son last night because I was cracking up. There's one scene where the main character, Pablo, is with the guys from the area who were trying to help him out, help him get more comfortable with the sea. Mm -hmm. And he was getting a surfing lesson. And his mom walks up and she's really worried because she knows he has these phobias. She knows he doesn't like the sand or the sea. And she's worried. And she's like, are you okay, Pablo? And one of the older guys says, you know, why don't you go on and have breakfast? We, we've got this. And, and she walks away. And the one guy goes, moms. 
And the other right? guy goes, moms. And then he, Pablo goes, moms. And I just thought it was hysterical because it was funny. I'm that mom that worries. So I got it. Yeah. But I also thought it was kind of nice for a boy of 12 years old to see that scene and to get it that like, even though we all love our moms, it's not just you. Yeah. That they can be a little bit much at that age. And anyway, and then, and it was kind of nice too, that he had this male bonding with all the guys kind of got it too. Yeah. So it was a really cute scene. I thought. And P.S. The other main character in the book, his best friend is a girl and she's awesome. So it's fine. You can do it. You can give us characters that have both boys and girls. I mean, books mm-hmm. that have both boys and girls together, but stop leaving the boys out altogether. Yeah. So anyway, that was The Double Life of Danny Day by Mike Thayer. Um, my second pick is out in April. I know these are not quite summer. Sometimes it's not. You can't come across them until summer. So that's okay. Right. That's why I was thinking. So I have the, my next two picks are April because I thought, yeah, they might be just winding up by summer anyway. So it's called The Last Wind Witch by Jennifer Adam because, you know, anything with witch in the title, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. Yes, you're down. Yeah, it's true. And this is about the kingdom of Fenwood Reach um, where there's a powerful wind witch who wove the seasons and she was keeping the land um, and the people happy. And then dark magic drove her out and the world is now in chaos. And so now we have Britta, of course, again, this is a girl main character, but I love fantasy stories with girl main characters too. So after our big soapbox, we're bringing it back. I'm not, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I hold my grudge. You know, I'm Irish. Um, I hold a grudge. (laughs) I'll stand up for the girls. So she realizes she has some magic. Uh, and so she's working as a hedge witch apprentice and she accidentally catches the attention of the wicked queen. And so the whole dun, 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 the whole adventure goes from there. So I just think this one sounds like a lot of fun. It's called The Last Wind Witch by Jennifer Adam. And that's coming out in April. In April, yes. And then my last pick also comes out in April and it's called The Last Shadow Warrior. Witch and Warrior in titles both get my attention. Always get you. You're so predictable. Oh. Oh, wait, I see it's got Vikings in it. Oh, of course. Yeah, this is a Viking story. So I had to throw it in here because I knew you would come up with other stuff that wasn't Viking. I know, right? <laughs> so this is about 12-year-old Abby Beckett, and she is an Asir. Asir and Disir are two different types of gods in the Viking world. So it's so cool. So she spent her life training to hunt Grendel's, um, the ancient foe of the Asir. And so this is her adventure that she goes on after her father is attacked. She she has to take refuge in Valhall and um, it's a school in Minnesota where she's like hiding out basically <laughs> and nothing as it is as it seems. Because they're all Norwegian up there. Yeah, right. Exactly. But I like it how they tie the Vikings to America, yeah, I love it. especially since there's that old thing of Vikings came to America first and all that. So I think that's kind of a cool connection. So anyway, I just thought that one sounded fun. Again, it's The Last Shadow Warrior by San um, Subidi, I guess. And it's out in April. Awesome. That looks really good. What do you have? My first book, I'm so psyched to read this one. I, I well, Because you know me, I love aliens. I love aliens and Bigfoot and all those weird things. So this is called Weird Kid by, uh, and this is out in May, um, by Greg Van Eekout, I think is how you say it. Um, we'll put it in the show notes so you can find that. And it was it was billed as uh, E.T. meets Harry the Spot. So this is about a boy who is trying to find his place in the world, even though he's an alien. Um, And he and his parents have been kind of hiding out, uh, hiding their identity, I should say. Anyway, they're hiding out in Arizona while he's trying to figure out a big secret. But this girl, Agnes, she finds out his big secret. And the only way she'll keep her mouth shut is if she can help him. 
So that looks really cool. They can, and they end up in a giant conspiracy theory. So that looks really fun. <laughs> that's fun. And that's called The Weird Kid by Greg Van Eekout. Um, and the second one, this one, like it like plunked me. Um, 12 year old Golden Maroney is a soccer player and he he's determined to become a soccer superstar like uh, Lionel Messi, who is his idol. What's this one called? The Thousand Tries by Amy McKenchney. So 12-year-old Golden Maroney, is, he's a soccer player, and he is determined to be like Lionel Messi, his, his all-time fave, and he wants to become captain of his eighth-grade soccer team. This is what really got me, because my husband's father was a professional soccer player, and my husband always wanted to be a soccer player like his father. So I was like, oh, this got me in my, in my feels. So, But unfortunately, on the field, everything's going great for Golden, but off the field, his dad, who was once a pro soccer player, is battling ALS. And he's losing more and more control of his body every day, um, which is really similar to what happened to my husband's father. And it's really hard to watch a, a former athlete lose control of their their physical body that way. And I can't even imagine doing as a kid. So I'm really interested to read this book because I just think it looks like a great, interesting concept. Um, but Golden doesn't want to believe, even though his mother and his father have explained to him that there is no cure for ALS, he's sure that there is. All you have to do is treat it like a hard opponent. If you just keep pushing, 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 you will win. But his push, push, push has starting to drive his friends away and his dad keeps getting worse. So Golden has to learn that maybe you really can't control everything. And I, I know it seems like, I know it sounds like a downer, a total downer for um, for a summer read, but what a great idea. And I just think there's so many things to unpack about boys and their dads, boys that are athletes is trying to follow in the footsteps of their athlete fathers. This looks like a great book. And that's called The Thousand Tries by Amy McKenzie. And that is coming out again in May. That's also coming out in May. And this last one is also, I believe it's, I don't know. Oh, I guess I didn't write it down. I think it's coming out in July. And it's called Down to Earth by Beth Coley. I'm going to read you this one because this, I, I, I didn't want to summarize it on my own. So Henry's always been fascinated by rocks. And as a homeschooler, he pours through the R volume of the encyclopedia to help him identify every rock he finds. P.S. That's my kid. My youngest one is a dorky little homeschooler who loves rocks and he will find everything out about every rock ever. His best friend is also a rock enthusiast and his little sister, Birdie, and they find this meteorite that lands in their family's on their family's field. Soon after the meteorite's arrival, the water in his small main town starts to dry up. And it's not long before news spreads that the space rock that Henry's family has found, Henry and his family have found might be the reason. But Henry's determined to, dis to defend his discovery and his knowledge of geology could not have prepared him for how much the stone in the sky would change his community, his friend, family, and even himself. That one, okay, that's Down to Earth by Beth Colley. Two things, three things, four things, whatever. This one, A, to read a book about a homeschooler is awesome. B, to read about a book about a kid who's into rocks, awesome. I just think that's like so much awesomeness there. And to just to read it, uh, there's not a lot that happens in small villages in New England as far as for kids. There's a lot of like cozy mysteries that happen in small New England towns. There's not a lot of books that, you know, because it's not it's not a sexy life. So um, I think that there's so many things that I cannot wait to read this one with my son, because I think like he'll definitely he's going to connect to it on a lot of levels. This is what we're talking about when we say that everybody has 
representation is important. It's important to represent homeschoolers. It's important to represent kids that, you know, are athletes that have their own set of problems going on at home. I tend to skew more towards realistic because I like humor and I like, you know, these kind of stories too, more so than like where you tend to go more towards fantasies. But I think that it is huge to see yourself in a book and to see something that you can relate to and not having books out there for boys is a problem. We're back to that. (laughs) I am, but I, I legitimately, I legitimately am concerned about this because it is, it it is an issue. So that's why from now on, I'm only choosing books of boys. Oh my goodness. This is my stand for now, sister, until I start to see more. This is my own little private protest until I start to see more books for boys. I'm on a, I'm on a rampage. I don't know if you remember well, but I went on this rampage approximately seven years ago when I could not find boys pants at the Coles near you. Yes, I remember. (laughs) And they had lots and lots and lots and lots of girls clothes, but they had no boys pants. That's mostly because they they sold out. They always sell out in boys pants. They get seven pairs of boys pants and they get 55 pairs of gold leggings. P.S. If I could get my boys to wear gold leggings, I would. I'd, I'd condone that. I'd be like, go girl, you do you, man. Do you remember when your youngest wore those chef pants that you made for him because you couldn't find them? Right. See, I had to make him pants. I guess I'll have to write them books now. Yeah, there you go, mama. Start writing some books. Oh, well. That was a great chat, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) A great, angry, hostile (laughs) chat. (laughs) Before we started, I was just telling Heather that my own voices should be an angry middle-aged boy mom. That's it. It's my own voices, Grant. I have a lot to talk about when it comes to that. It's so funny because you know what? Yesterday, speaking of that, yesterday I was cleaning the bathroom, the boys' bathroom. Oh, please. I mean, oh, yeah, right? Um, And I was cleaning with the rage that made me want to strangle my children when I got into their bathroom. And a friend of mine who only has boys as well texted me and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm in the boys' bathroom. And she's like, let the rage flow. (laughs) Because like that is something that boy moms so understand. What happens in there, we'll never understand. But the anger that comes from having to clean those bathrooms, mm, that's universal. That's universal to every mother who has a boy. On Christmas, <laughs> this is so bad. I cleaned the downstairs half bath before everyone came over. It's the last thing you clean, right? right? Because we right. want it to be clean. And I put a sign on the door that said, do not use for my guys so that they wouldn't go in there after I cleaned it. <laughs> my sister-in-law during Christmas came over and she's like, can I go in this bathroom? And she was holding. <gasps> you forgot to take the sign <laughs> down. Oh, no. Well, you could have left it up there and then nobody would have cost you to have to clean it again. Oh, I felt so bad. I'm like, I look like the mean mom because I was like, do not use this bathroom. <laughs> it's true, though. They can't. No. If you have one boy in your home, you understand. <laughs> so what's up for our next episode? Well, maybe I won't be as angry. Let's hope for that. <laughs> maybe I'll I'll have a little sugar before or something. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you should send some chocolates before the next episode. Uh, <laughs> but for our next episode, we're going to talk about my favorite subject next to aliens, spies. I love spies. I'm so psyched. Uh, we're going to be reading City Spies by James Ponty. And uh, The Double Cross by Jackson Pierce. And then what was the one, yours? I will be reading Etiquette and Espionage by Gail Carriger. So if you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And if you want to find out what's happening in our worlds and what I'm angry about today... 
You can follow us on Tulip Mamas Podcast on Instagram or Tulip Mamas on Facebook. And of course, at our website, www.tulipmamas.com. So check us out. Yay. All right. Have a great week. Thanks. Have a great week. Bye.